Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, January 7th, 2021. And I am so grateful to all of you for being with us this evening. Our ability to connect this way is just an amazing thing, notwithstanding the serious health situation around us, but we can still connect and study together and learn Torah together. And that is a fantastic thing. I'm grateful to all of you for being here. Our Parsha and the book of Shemos, which it begins, teaches us innumerable lessons about leadership. And these lessons apply whether we are leading a nation, a community, an organization, a family, or even when we lead ourselves. The first leader we meet, from whom we learn a great deal, is Miriam, who we first meet as a young girl in our Parsha, the older sister of the, the baby Moshe. And Bailey Newman points out the depths of what Miriam teaches us. Because Yocheved gives birth to a baby boy, Moshe, and hides him. And then at a certain point, she places the baby in a basket and sends the basket down the river. And Miriam, Moshe's sister, waits by the Nile River and follows the basket with her eyes. Miriam placed herself, positioned herself at a distance, Ledea, in order to know Mayaselo, what would happen to him. She wanted to know. She felt connected to this baby. She saw his physical plight as her spiritual responsibility. Even if it means watching would be painful because what did she imagine would happen to a baby alone, adrift in the water? But she didn't close her eyes. She didn't walk away, which would have been a lot easier it would have been a lot less painful. But she watched and waited and wanted to know what would happen. And we all have to take that lesson to heart and we have to ask ourselves, can we claim that we reach that level? When we heed a call, hear a call and we see someone whose experiences of suffering come into our view. Do we watch? Do we see? Do we engage? Or do we pretend detachment? Do we see God's world as disconnected and ourselves as disempowered from responding? Or like Miriam, do we res take responsibility 
for what happens to someone else. How many times has it happened to us that we have the thought of sending an email or a text or making a call to someone who's in pain and then the thought passes us by? How often does it happen that in our presence we hear a statement that is racist or sexist or bigoted? Maybe it's made at someone's Shabbos table. Maybe it's made at someone, someone's community gathering. Maybe it's made on a, feast, a Facebook feed. How often do we disregard it? How often do we fail to acknowledge it and call it out? Like a baby in a basket going down the river if we were to avert our eyes. Do we really believe that God puts things into our vision in order for us to respond, in order for us to engage, to take responsibility? Because Miriam does believe that. And Miriam teaches us to do the same. And what's striking about this narrative is the way it contrasts with a narrative at the very beginning of the Torah, in the Parsha Bereshis, where we learn about Cain and Hevel, two brothers, Cain and Abel. And Cain murders his brother, Abel. And then God comes to Cain and says the famous question, Aye Hevel Ochicha, where is Hevel your brother? And Cain answers, Vayomer, and Cain says to God, Lo yadati. I don't know. Hashomer achi anochi, am I my brother's keeper? But the Torah teaches us in our parsha, that's not the way to respond to God. The Torah teaches us through Miriam that we're a brother previously, earlier in the Torah, failed, a sister, Miriam, succeeds. Where Cain refuses responsibility. Lo yadati, I do not know. In our parsha, the Pasuk specifically says that Miriam, watching her brother in the Nile, in order, Ledea, to know Mayasalo. She is responsible for what happens to him. She knows and she teaches us that salvation will come not by disengagement, but through a valiant wrestling with what is in front of us. And her first disciple is Moshe. Before Moshe is chosen by God to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt, we are told at the beginning of our Parsha so little about him. What qualified him for this enormous historic role? So we have to analyze very carefully the very few details the Torah does teach us 
in order to understand. There are only three things you need to know to understand what kind of a man Moshe is. There are only three things that qualify Moshe for this position of leadership. And I can say that because the Torah only tells us three things. So obviously, that's all we need to know. Three episodes in Moshe's young life that must somehow complete our insight into our greatest teacher and leader. Episode number one. By Yetzeh el Echov, Moshe went out to his brothers, to his people. Vayar besivlosam, and he saw their mistreatment. He saw their suffering. Vayar ish mitri maka ish ivri. He saw an Egyptian beating a Jew. And Moshe took action. And Moshe killed the Egyptian. Episode number two. Moshe went out to see his people the next day. He saw two Jews who were fighting with each other. And he said to the one who was the aggressor, Why are you hitting your fellow? The fight had nothing to do with him. But he said to them, why are you fighting? And because he butted in, he had to flee for his life. The prince of Egypt raised in Paro's home was reduced to a penniless vagabond because of his meddling in the affairs of others. And so he travels far away to a place called Midian. Episode number three. Vatavona, he went to a well, a well where there were a group of women, strangers, foreigners, and they were drawing water. Vatavona, vatidalna, vatmalena, they were drawing water in order to give water to the flocks that belonged to their father. All of a sudden, shepherds, other shepherds came along. They didn't want to wait for these women to finish feeding, giving water to their flocks, and they Push these women away. And as we read this, as I read this, I feel like saying, Moshe, hold on. This is not your fight. This is not your place. You do not know these people. Don't you realize how much trouble you've gotten yourself into already by butting into someone else's problem? Don't butt in. And Moshe butts in. Vayakam Moshe Vayoshi Un. Moshe gets up 
and comes to their aid. That completes the picture. That's it. The next incident in the Parsha is the incident of the bush that is burning and is not consumed. And God speaks to Moshe. So what is it that we know about Moshe? Rabbi Saul Berman pointed out in a lecture a number of years ago, what we know is that Moshe had a developed sense of moral outrage. That is what is important for us to know. If it's wrong and there's something that I can do about it, I must do something. If I can ease someone's pain, I'm not butting in. It's my business. And that's true whether it is my brother or my sister or my countryman or even a stranger, maybe especially a stranger. And Moshe learned this from Miriam. It is Miriam who prepares Moshe to be qualified in God's eyes. In our time, one man who learned this lesson is Eli Wiesel, when he said, that is why I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Edward Yashinsky wrote, Fear not your enemies, for they can only kill you. Fear not your friends, for they can only betray you. Fear only the indifferent who permit the killers and betrayers to walk safely on the earth. That's what Miriam taught Moshe. Never be indifferent to the suffering of another. And Moshe learned, Vayar besiv losam, he saw the suffering of his fellows. Vayakam vayoshi'an, he got up and he came to their rescue, to their aid. Moshe absorbed that. And that's when God says, that's the one I must choose. But though this quality gets Moshe the job, there is much more that Moshe must learn and understand to be a leader of the Jewish people. Beginning with a crucial lesson about the relationship between a leader and those that he or she leads. And this is so important for us to consider now because so many of the models around us today are precisely the opposite of what they should be. So let's revisit the narratives that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Moshe went out, saw his people, saw their suffering. He saw an Egyptian hitting a Jew. 
He went out on the second day. He saw two Jews who were fighting. He said to the aggressor, why are you hitting your fellow? And the aggressor answered him. I didn't quote this before. The aggressor answered him and said, who made you a judge over us? What's it your business? Do you plan to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And the Torah says Moshe became frightened and said, by Yira Moshe, Moshe became frightened by Yomar. And he said, the matter is now known and I have to run away. So what does that mean? The matter is now known and I have to run away. What does that mean, the matter? So the simple understanding is obvious. It means that Paro heard that Moshe had killed an Egyptian. Paro wanted to punish Moshe. So Moshe had to run away. When Moshe heard this Jewish person talking about what Moshe had done the day before, this is known. A Jew has informed on me. I've got to run away. Rashi says something much deeper. Rashi, based on a Midrashic interpretation of this verse, says, Moshe was puzzled. Why are we suffering in slavery? Why is God not taking us out? There is a promise that we all know about that God said, I will take you out of Egypt and bring you to the land flowing with milk and honey. There is this promise. Why are we suffering in slavery so long? Why has God not come to redeem us? And now Moshe finally understood. Seeing that a Jew could inform on another Jew to Paro when he was just saving a third Jew. Seeing that the Jews at that time had dropped the moral compass of our patriarchs and matriarchs. Moshe saw that his people, the Jewish people, were not deserving of salvation. Achen noda hadavar, Moshe realizes we are not worthy of God redeeming us. And that's why Moshe flees Egypt and he moves to Midian far away, essentially alienating himself, disassociating himself from his brothers and sisters in Mitzrayim. And he moves away for many, many years. And then the Torah says, Many years passed. Moshe went to Midian. Moshe married. Moshe and Zipporah, his wife, they had a son. Many years pass. And the Torah says, The Jewish people 
many years later, cried out to God from their persecution, from their bondage. And their cry reached God. And God heard their suffering. And God remembered his covenant to Abraham and to Yitzchak and to Yaakov. Vayar Elokim es b'nei Yisrael, and God saw the children of Israel, Vayeda Elokim, and God knew. What did God know? I mean, God knows everything. God sees everything. Why does the Torah have to tell us that God knew? What is it that God knew? George Bernard Shaw once said, the smartest man I know is my tailor. He takes my measurements anew every time he sees me. The Rav, Rav Yosef Soloveitchik explains, what God saw and knew after years had passed, is that now the Jewish people in Egypt had changed. They were no longer the selfish, quarrelsome people Moshe remembered from years ago. They had spiritually gained weight. And when they were measured anew by God, he found that they were now worthy of being redeemed from Egypt. All too often, many of us do that. All too often, our measurements of someone's character are fixed and rigid. And we assume that our assessment of someone their worthiness, their character, their level of refinement. We assume that our assessment is accurate, even though it's based on a measurement from long ago. We assume that we are able to estimate the deservedness of someone else, the quality of their character, even though we're relying on a measurement from a long time ago. And perhaps even worse is that we do the same thing about ourselves. Very often we look at ourselves and judge ourselves based on what we knew about ourselves a long time ago. Often we are not tailors who measure anew with each visit. We think we see ourselves. We think we see others. We think we know the measurements. But what if really we're relying on measurements that are outdated? What if we assume people have stayed the same, but they really haven't? So God appears to Moshe all these years later and he appears at the burning bush 
and God is impressed with Moshe's potential based on the episodes that we mentioned before. But then God says to Moshe, I have seen and now I know. God says, I see as oni ami asher b'mitzrayim. I see the suffering of my people in Egypt, and I know. God means that as an indictment of Moshe. Moshe, you think now, all these years later, that the Jewish people are still undeserving? I know what's going on now. You're relying on a judgment from years ago. Ra'o ra'isi, I see them now. They are not the same. And the lesson is that I, God, I update my measurements. Do you, Moshe? I, God, am constantly measuring. Are you, Moshe? I know, God says, that now they are worthy of wonders and miracles that will lead to their freedom. Moshe, it's your job now, I'm giving you this job, to awaken and teach them this truth. Go teach the Jewish people now that I, God, will not abandon them. That I am not relying on a previous measurement of them. I see them now and I know them now. The Ereb Lahatzilo Mian Mitzrayim, God says to Moshe, I will descend and save them from Egypt. And I will raise them up from that land, El Eretz Tova Urachava, to a land that is good and wide open. Eretz Zavas Chalav Udvash. It's time for me to bring them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. This message is not just for Moshe. It's a message for every single one of us. We must let go of our static, out-of-date measurements of ourselves and others. And we must measure again and again and always be open to the improvement and the refinement in others. This is an absolute prerequisite for Jewish leadership. I've shared this with some of you before, every Shabbos in Shul. Yes, I know, right now, we're not going to Shul on Shabbos. But every Shabbos in Shul, we say this prayer. And it's a prayer, a blessing, on behalf of our community's leaders. We say, all those who work on behalf of our community with emuna, with faithfulness. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yishalem Skaram. God should give them reward and bless them and forgive their sins and make sure that they're healthy. All the good things we want to offer to those who serve our community. People work so hard on behalf of our community. Every Shabbos we bless them. 
We bless those who work on behalf of our community with faithfulness, who work faithfully, who work with their full effort, who work with pure motives. This blessing is reserved for those community leaders who work with their full effort, who work with pure motives, not just every person who works for the community. This blessing is reserved for those who work be'emuna. But let me share a deeper lesson. Be'emuna, which means faithful or having faith. All those who work on behalf of the community with faith in the community. If you have faith that the community you are assisting, if you believe that those you are working on behalf of, that they are essentially good, that they are potentially great, if you have faith in them, then you're deserving of a blessing. And if you do not have faith in them, if you do not think the people you are leading are good and potentially great, if you don't see the goodness in them, you're not deserving of this blessing. You're not deserving of Jewish leadership. It is your job as a leader to recognize and to evoke and to develop that greatness in others. Listen, please to how dramatically God shares this lesson with Moshe. So, our parsha, one of the most famous images in all of Judaism, the burning bush. Moshe was shepherding the flocks of his father-in-law Yisro, and he was in the desert, and there is there's a bush, and in the middle of the bush, it's burning. And Moshe says, that's odd. The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed by the fire. I'm going to go take a look and see what this is, this strange sight, this strange image. Vayar Hashem Kisar Liros God saw that Moshe had gone to look at this site, Vayomer, Vayikra Elav Elokim Mitochasna. That's when God called out to Moshe from within the bush. Vayomer Moshe, Moshe, God called Moshe, Moshe, Vayomer Moshe answered, Hineni, here I am. What does it mean? What's the significance of a burning bush? Listen again, please, to the Rav, Rav Yosef Soloveitchik, a blessed memory. He suggests that what intrigued Moshe was that there was a bush, there was a fire burning inside the bush, in the middle of the bush, but the outside of the bush was not on fire. It appeared normal. And the Medrash, our rabbis in the Medrash explained that this is a metaphor. And Moshe understood that it to mean, Moshe asked himself, as I mentioned just a while ago, why should the Jews merit exodus from Egypt? To look at them superficially, 
based on when he was last there, they do not appear to deserve redemption. And that's why when God says to Moshe, I want you to lead the people out of Egypt, Moshe questions God. We'll come back to this later. Moshe questions God. Why? Why are you going to take them out of Egypt? What have they done to deserve it? So to respond to that question, God shows Moshe the vision of a bush, which is a metaphor for every Jew. Inside every Jew, there is a spark that is burning of goodness and merit, even if on the outside, he or she appears plain. The bush is the merit, is, the, is a metaphor for the merit or the potential of merit of every single Jew, even those who are the most removed. You know, it's very easy to look down on someone else, to think that they are so ignorant, they are so unschooled. It's very easy to look down on someone else. And with the burning bush, God shows Moshe that great leadership requires you to believe that you can help bring out abilities and energy in a person who never imagined that they had it in themselves. And it's no coincidence that the first leader, Miriam, is described to us by our rabbis as a midwife. Because leadership is largely about helping someone give birth to themselves, give birth to abilities and qualities within themselves that need to come out into the world. Great leadership is to find the fire and drive within someone when no one else sees it and to help it be born. But Moshe was not yet convinced. And so God provided an even more dramatic lesson. Moshe says to God, it's not going to work. You're asking me to go take the Jews out of Egypt, to be your messenger, to be your intermediary, to go and take the Jews out of Egypt. It's not going to work. Vayan Moshe Vayomer. Moshe answers God and says, The Jews are not going to believe me. I'm going to come back to Egypt. I'm going to say, I was in the desert and I saw this bush and was on fire and God appeared to me and he said, go back and tell the Jews it's time we're leaving Egypt. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. So, God has an answer. God has a solution. God says, all right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you how to perform two miracles. Now, before we go further, in the story of the Exodus from Egypt, miracles play two separate roles. They have two separate goals. The second one, which we'll get to later, through the 10 plagues, those miracles are to persuade the Egyptians to free the Jews. But first, it's the Jews themselves 
who need to be persuaded to follow Moshe. So, God provides Moshe with two miracles in order to go back to the Jewish people that they will be persuaded that it's time for God to take them out of Egypt. And the two miracles are as follows. By Yomer, love, God says to Moshe, what is that in your hand? And Moshe says, Mate, it's a staff, a stick. God says, throw it to the ground. By Nachash, it became a serpent, a snake. By Yonas, Moshe, Mipanav, Moshe recoiled. Moshe didn't like snakes. That might be as close as I get to being like Moshe. I don't like snakes. By Yomer, Moshe, God said to Moshe, Shlach Yadcha, reach out your hand, take a hold of the tail of the snake. I worry if I would have been there, this whole thing never would have happened. I don't know if I could have done it. Okay, take hold of the, of the, of the, of the tail of the snake. And all of a sudden it became a staff, a stick in his hand. God says to him further, I have a second miracle for you. Put your hand into your garment. Moshe put his hand into his garment. When it came out, it was white with saras. It was white. The skin was a different color. God said, put your hand back into your garment. Take it out again. It's back to normal. God says to Moshe, V'hoye im lo yaminu if you do the first miracle and that doesn't convince them, that's not good enough. You'll do the second miracle and that will do the job. Okay. And they work. The Torah tells us in our parsha, Moshe goes back to Egypt. He gathers together. Moshe goes back together with his brother Aaron. He gathers together the elders of the entire Jewish people. God, Moshe performs these two miracles in front of all of the Jewish people. And the people believe that God has remembered the children of Israel, and God has seen their affliction, and the people bowed down in respect of Moshe and of God, who's going to take them out of Egypt. Okay, two questions. Number one, why these two specific miracles? Why these two? And number two, why two, not one? What's better, what's stronger about the second one that could not have been accomplished by the first one? The first one sounds to me like a pretty good miracle. So here's an important principle. A miracle, a nace. A miracle is not just a trick from God. Anybody can do tricks. We'll see later in the Torah, Pyro's magicians can do tricks. The power of a miracle from God is its message. What story does it tell? So let's look briefly at the messages of these two miracles. Now remember, the goal is for the Jewish people to accept Moshe as their leader. 
and to follow everything he says in order to lead them out of Egypt. In other words, the story these two miracles will tell is in fact the essence of Jewish leadership, which is being introduced here to the Jewish people for the first time. And it's being introduced to us. It will teach us about national leadership, about communal leadership, about the personal leadership each of us has within our own lives, within the lives of our families. By Yehila Nachash, Moshe throws down the stick onto the ground and it becomes a snake. By Yonas Moshe Miponov, Moshe recoils from the snake. You want to lead Jews? You need to know some Jews appear like snakes. Excuse me for saying it. But sometimes some Jews do things that cause us to recoil But here's the message. God says to Moshe, reach out your hand. It turns back into a staff. This is a miracle that will help the Jewish people believe that you are the right leader. The message, the story of this miracle is that any Jew no matter how far, no matter how low, no matter how unappealing, just touch, just reach out, just connect, and they can transform. And if you don't really believe that any Jew can be touched, can return, can be redeemed, you don't deserve to be a leader. That's the first message. That is a necessary quality of leadership. It was necessary for the Jewish people in Egypt to hear that Moshe understood that about them, but it was not sufficient in and of itself. So the second miracle is necessary. And the second miracle involves this condition that the Torah refers to as tsaraas. So I mentioned before, tsaraas means that a person's skin, it's often translated with the word leprosy, but it really doesn't mean leprosy. It's a very bad translation of the word. It means that a person's skin unnaturally, this is not a dermatological issue, a person's skin unnaturally turns a different color. It's a very strange choice of a miracle for Moshe to demonstrate to the Jewish people especially because elsewhere in the Torah, this condition is a spiritual punishment for the sin of Lashon Hara, of speaking negatively about somebody else. What's that got to do with this narrative? So Rashi quotes our rabbis who say as follows, With this miracle, God is intimating to Moshe that Moshe spoke Lashon Hara. Moshe spoke negatively about the Jewish people. When Moshe said to God, but they're not going to believe me. Moshe disparaged Jews 
when he said those words, they won't believe me. Why doesn't he trust that they will believe that God has sent them? Therefore, God punished Moshe with this punishment of Tsaras, of his hand turning unnaturally a different color. The second message is even more powerful than the first. If you want to be a Jewish leader, don't insult Jews. If you insult Jews, even with the best of intentions, God will be upset. God sticks up for Jews, even when we don't. And once the Jewish people saw that, once the Jewish people saw that Moshe himself would be held accountable for how he treated them, they realized this is a new paradigm of leadership that God is introducing to the world, not based on power, not based on charisma or ruthlessness or on performing tricks, but based on the leader's trust in the innate, discoverable goodness of Jews and based on the leader's accountability to them. That's why Jews were convinced by Moshe and that remains our contribution to the notion of moral leadership in the world. We may not have these miracles today, but the lessons they teach us are as true today as ever. I love this quote. I've shared it before from Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. That's the essence of Jewish leadership. But there's one more lesson. I know it's a little bit late, but this is very powerful. This is a lesson that all of us need to learn because it is so hard. This next piece is really hard to do. It goes directly against what we think we need to do in order to be an effective leader. Very, very briefly, this whole passage, which is the main narrative of our Parsha, of Moshe at the burning bush, the whole thing is bizarre. It's surreal. God calls out to Moshe from within this burning bush. Moshe says, Hineni, here I am. God says, I've seen the suffering of the Jewish people. It's time for me to take them out. Now I want you to go to Paro and take out the Jewish people from Egypt. Moshe says, Mi Anochi, who am I to go to Paro? Moshe says, God says, I'll, I'll be with you. I'm not asking you to go by yourself. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm just asking you to be my representative. Moshe says, if they ask me what your name is, what should I say? God says, I'll tell you my name. Eh, yeah, sure. Eh, yeah, I'll tell you what my name is. 
Bayan Moshe Vayomer. Moshe answers and said, no, it's not going to work. They're not going to believe me. God says, I'll give you two miracles. They're going to work. Vayomer Moshe Hashem, be Hashem, please God. Lo ish tvarim anochi. I'm not good at public speaking. God says to Moshe, it doesn't matter. Who do you think gives the ability to speak to mankind? I'm the one that gives the ability. I will make you a public speaker. Vayomer, Moshe says, and our rabbis tell us, this back and forth lasted for seven days. So this last comment is at the end of seven days of arguing. Vayomer, bi Hashem, Moshe finally says, please, just, just send somebody else. Just anybody but me. God finally loses his patience. I don't know if I could have held that that long after the first five minutes I was losing my patience. God says, forget, I'm telling you to go. That's it. The, the discussion is over. Seven days is enough arguing. <laughs> Seven days, Moshe keeps arguing. Rabbi J.J. Schachter, a great scholar, a great teacher, asked two questions. Number one, <laughs> where do you get the chutzpah to contradict God? How do you argue with God like this? God says to Moshe, they will listen. Moshe says, no, they won't listen. God says to Moshe, you're going to be able to do it. Moshe says, no, I'm not going to be able to do it. God says you're going to be successful. Moshe says, no, I'm not going to be successful. How do you have the chutzpah just to contradict? It's one thing to argue, but to contradict. God says you'll be able. Moshe says, no, I will not be able. How do you have the ability to do that? How do you speak to God like that? It's, it's just bizarre. But number two, a rabbi say, I mentioned, they're arguing for seven days. For seven days, this is going on back and forth. Yes, no, yes, no. Go, no, I'm not going. Go, I'm not going. But where is Moshe's concern for the Jewish people? He knows, God has told him, he knows what's happening to the Jews in Egypt. They're being beaten. They're being killed every day. How can he not rush to help them? He was away for 60 years. Our rabbis tell us that every single day he was worried about the Jewish people. How can he keep arguing with God? Your people are in trouble. They're dying every day. Every day that you keep arguing and contradicting God, Jews are dying. How callous can Moshe be? Why doesn't he just immediately go and help them? You tell me I can help. I don't know. There's someone suffering. I've got to run. I've got to help. Let's look closely at Moshe's last objection after seven days of arguing with God. Vayomer, Moshe says to God, Be Hashem, please God, Shlach na biyad tishlach. Please send someone else. What does that mean? Who does, who does Moshe want God to send? If not him, 
Please send someone else. Who does Moshe have in mind? Rashi says he's referring to his brother Aharon. Aharon, first of all, was older. Aharon was more of a public figure. Aaron is better than me. Please send Aaron, not me. That's what Rashi says. Okay. Pirkei de Rebeliezer, which is a collection of Midrashic comments by our rabbis, says, Moshe said to God, don't send me, send Eliyahu Anavi, send Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet? Eliyahu Anavi? So the Rav, Rav Soloveitchik, explains. Moshe was a Navi. Moshe was a prophet. So that means Moshe can see what's going to happen in the future. Moshe said to God, listen, if you send me to take the Jews out of Egypt, I see that eventually I will be successful. I'll get them out of Egypt. We'll travel through the desert. They will get to Israel. They'll settle in Israel. They'll build the temple. And then it's going to be destroyed and they're going to be exiled. They're going to build another temple and it's going to be destroyed again. And I exiled again. And they're going to be in this long exile, which is where we find ourselves right now. Moshe says to God, don't send me. Send Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, who will usher in Yemos HaMashiach, the Messianic era. Send the one who will just do this permanently. Why send me who will achieve a temporary fix? Send a Leoa Navi who is going to bring permanent freedom, permanent redemption. Moshe wasn't arguing with God that he didn't want to go. He was arguing with God because he loved Jews so much and he was so hurt by their suffering that their hurt and their suffering, his empathy for them, gave him the strength to have this chutzpah to say no to God, send someone better. All of a sudden it puts this scene in a whole other light. And our understanding of Moshe is transformed. That's real leadership. There's someone better. Don't choose me. Choose who is best for the people. That's the first part of the lesson. But God says to Moshe, that's not how I want to do it. That's not my plan. I want you to go. I'm telling you to go. Someday, God says to Moshe, someday, we're all waiting, someday, I will send Eliyahu Navi. I will send Elijah the prophet. I will usher in the messianic era with permanent redemption and freedom and spirituality. Someday. Now, Moshe, I'm sending you. And here's the lesson that God is teaching Moshe about leadership and teaching all of us right now. Geula, redemption, it's a process. It starts, it stops. It gets sidetracked. There are obstacles. 
There are failures along the way. God would not provide, God does not provide redemption in one fell swoop. I once had the opportunity to hear Rabbi Shlomo Riskin speaking. And he discussed the passage in the Talmud. The Talmud says the Mashiach, the Messiah, will come riding on a donkey. Rabbi Riskin asked, why should the Mashiach come riding on a donkey to usher in the Messianic era? Why doesn't he come in a Volvo? Why doesn't he come in a helicopter? Why a donkey? So Rabbi Riskin said, Rabbi Riskin knows more about donkeys than I do. So Rabbi Riskin said, if you ever watch a donkey, it goes and then it stops. It takes a step forward, then it goes backward a little bit. It goes to the side, it goes to the other side. Ultimately, it will reach its goal in spite of the setbacks. In spite of the setbacks, Israel moves toward redemption. But it's not straight. It's not smooth. It never will be. And this is also a prerequisite for leadership. John Ortberg once wrote, leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can stand. You have to be honest with people. Drastic change does not happen overnight. It is a process. And people must understand that or else they will despair at the first setback. Winston Churchill said, success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Moshe's first overtures to Paro were a failure. It even made things worse, but it's a process. Another prayer we say in shul on Shabbos, and if we're not in shul, we should still say it at home. Tfilah l'medinat Yisrael, the prayer for the state of Israel. Where we refer to the state of Israel as reishis tzmichas ke'ulasenu, the beginning of the flowering of our redemption. Notice the modern state of Israel. It's not redemption. It's not even the flowering of redemption. It's the beginning of the flowering of the redemption. And this is the story of the Jewish people. And every leader must know this. And every one of us must know this because it is not only the story of the redemption of the Jewish people, it is also the story of every one of our personal lives. You know, every one of us hoped hopes. Every one of us feels that we had hoped that we would be further along than we are in our lives right now. At whatever age we are, Every one of us has the feeling, 
I thought I would have achieved certain goals by now. I'm nowhere near achieving. It could be any area of life. It could be our finances. It could be our career. It could be our family. In every area of life, you know, spiritually, you know, I would have thought by now that my davening would be more meaningful than it is. You know, I've been davening my whole life, praying. You know, I thought by the time I reached this age, I would have learned more Torah. I just, I'm, I'm not where I thought I would be at this point in my life. I'll confess something to you, it's personal. I don't like birthdays. I like other people's birthdays. I love celebrating other people's birthdays. I, I don't like so much celebrating my birthday. It's just, it's a personal thing of mine. And I'll confess it to you because that's what I think about on my birthday. I think about, you know, this is the number I am. This is not where I expected to be at this point. I, I expected to be Every one of us does this. We beat up on ourselves. I should have been there already. I should have accomplished this already. This should come easy to me already. Now I'm speaking to you, but I'm speaking to myself and I'm trying to listen myself as I say it to you. That's not how redemption works. That's not how life works. Don't beat yourself up. Michael, don't beat yourself up. Are you working hard? Are you doing your best? That's redemption. You're never going to be there at, this, at the rate that you think that you're going to get there. That's redemption. Nationally and communally and personally for every single one of us. You know, I just want to finish with this. This is what is happening to every single one of us right now with COVID. We want to be redeemed enough already. And we are angry and we are frightened and we are frustrated. We want the numbers to go down. We want the vaccines to be given now. And all of a sudden, when we thought it was going to happen fast. Ah, historic. There are two vaccines and there are millions of doses. And all of a sudden it's going slow. And now they're not even giving the second shot only the first shot. They're only giving partial. It's frustrating. I agree. It's frustrating. But that's how redemption happens in every area of life. So we can be frustrated. We can do whatever is in our power to try to help it along. But we should not be surprised because this is tahalich hagaula, the process of redemption. It's a process. Moshe had to learn that. And every single one of us must learn that in our lives.
from our Parsha this Shabbos. My friends, I want to wish you a beautiful evening and a wonderful Shabbos. I hope that all of us can try to absorb these lessons because they will transform our lives if we do. Thank you so much for joining. I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.